0: So, we've covered a few principles. The first bundle were the pre-marital principles from the Qur'an that we need to be aware of before we come into a marriage. Then we started going through how many principles under the second bundle? How many? Five? No. How many? How many from the second bundle? How many, ashma How about Omar? I'm just opening Hashim. Two sofa. Two sofa. Yeah? That's right. Six and seven from the second bundle. They said the second batch of principles are about uh, principles from the Quran for the maintaining of a, a flourishing and a blossoming marriage. These are principles you need during your marriage if you are married, happily or unhappily. We've covered two from this second bundle. We're going to cover another two this evening, inshallah. Principle eight and principle nine. One of them will be addressing. Our woman folk, and the other principle will be speaking more so about husbands and their responsibilities. The first principle we share this evening is from Surah An Nisa, chapter 4 of the Quran, where Allah Jalla said, speaking to the men, Treat them fairly. Treat them, i.e., your wives, dear husbands, fairly or kindly, or reasonably, or honorably. These are different translations to Bil-Ma'roof as we shall explain. And what will help us understand this principle and the extent to which it can reform a relationship is understanding the sababun nuzul the cause of revelation, the context behind it. Imam al-Bukhari narrates on the authority of Abdullah ibn Abbas He said that before Islam, it was the custom that when the husband of a woman passed away, the relatives of that woman essentially inherited her as if she was an asset. And they would choose one of three things for her. Either one of them would reserve the right to marry her, or either they would choose to marry her off To someone of their liking, or either they will deprive her from marriage altogether. So Allah abolished this pre Islamic ignorant practice. And He said, Treat them fairly. Treat them fairly. Now, let us deconstruct this instruction from Allah to us men, to us husbands. He said, Wa'ashiruhun, which we translate as what? Treat them. But it is not a sufficient translation. There is an undertone I want to share with you. This word عاشرهن, comes from the three letter word عَشَرَة. عشرة as Ibn al-Arabi, al-Maliki, he says is in reference to al kamal something that is wholesome, complete, perfect. And that is why in the Arabic language we refer to the number 10 as with a ta' in the end. They say in Arabic it is tamamul aqdi, it is the uppermost number of al it is a full number. The idea I want you to take from this word is fullness, completeness, wholesomeness, perfection. And even in English, when you want to rank something, you say on a scale of what? One, two, on a scale of one to ten. So ten indicates perfection. عشرة. And that's why in the Arabic language, what do we refer to the tribe as in Arabic? Sheikh Muhammad? The tribe. What do we say about it? It is Al? Al Ashira, al-ashira. correct. It is Al Ashira, the same origins. Why? Because if they become a Ashira, when they become a ashira tribe, they are full, they are strong, they are powerful, and they are able to exact revenge from others. The idea is that the word Aashiruhun, this instruction of treat them, involves, it has an undertone of deal with them in a wholesome way, a, a full way, a complete way. Aashiruhun, treat them. And then Allah said, what type of treatment? Bil ma'roof. How did we translate bil ma'roof? How did we translate it? Ah, Shabab. No. La. Try again. We said? fairly. And there are many translations here, fairly, reasonably, kindly, honorably. But what ma'roof actually means, just from a linguistic perspective, the origins of this word is huruf. Have you heard of this word before Urf? Urf means norms, customs, acceptability. So it's almost as if you're being told from a linguistic perspective, treat your wives according to what is reasonably in according to the norms of a society, the acceptabilities, the customs of a community, according to the Urf in one understanding. And this is one of the beautiful aspects of the Quran and what makes it Kalamullah, the miraculous word of Allah, is that it sometimes speaks in open ended terms to encompass so many meanings. It didn't tell you how to behave with them. It gave you a general understanding to encompass so many things and to speak to so many tribes, so many communities, so many people who carry their way in their marital lives in different ways. Now, yes, I I agree with you. There are certain constants in the religion of Islam. They don't change, but there are certain aspects which the religion accommodates for. Customs, al-Urf, the norms of people. So long as it does not contradict with one of the matters Islam mandates or prohibits, Islam upholds the customs of people. It honors their norms. It gives it legislative weight. And you will find in the Qur'an, there are many aspects where the religion will tell people to understand the ruling in light of the customs. It's amazing. It will say, what are people doing? Do the same. So, for example, in the topic of rights between husbands and wife, Allah Almighty said in Surah Al-Baqarah, Meaning, for your wives are rights that are equal to their obligations according to the ma'roof, according to the custom, according to what, is, to what is fair and the norms of a society. When Allah Jalla Jalalu speaks about talaq, divorce, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said, talaq marratan, divorce can be retracted twice. bi maruf." so either you hold on to her in maruf what is fair, what is reasonable according to the norm. بإحسان, or you divorce her with grace. Do you see how in the Quran there are many a times rulings that are deferred to the customs, the norms. Islam gives it weight, and that's part of its timelessness, and its universal application. And Allah Almighty, He said when speaking about who is it who provides for the child, Allah said, وَعَلَى الْمَوْلُودِي لَهُ رِزْقُهُنَّ وَكِسْبَتُهُنَّ بِالْ that it's for the father of the child who is to give him maintenance and clothing according to what is ma'ruf what is fair what is according to the norms and society and the customs of a society so now i bring you back to the principle treat them bil ma'ruf fairly we've understood treat them, and the wholesome aspects in its undertone. And then, بِالْمَعْرُوفِ Fairly, we've understood the element of our customs and norms. Why is that important? Because sometimes, for example, one may marry a woman who comes from a particular custom. There is a particular acceptability that she was raised amidst whereby, especially if she was an upper-class woman from an upper-class family and upper-class society, and uh, this is a woman who's never needed to lift a finger at home, she's never made a bed, she doesn't have to navigate a kitchen, she's never cooked a meal in her life, she, she was not expected to do that, and it was maids doing everything for her and her family. You marry into that family, then you should be aware of that urf You should be aware of that custom that she has come from, and Islam requires you to accommodate accordingly. Now, I don't think they call them maids here in the UK. I think we call them household services. But nevertheless, that will become part of the discussion in the early marital meetings. Do you see the point that I'm establishing to you here, dear brother, dear sister? Treat them fairly. You've understood the instructions of this ayah. Now, the question which poses itself is the following. What are the modern day expectations? Since this verse is addressing you, dear brother, as a husband, what are the modern day expectations of the modern woman? I'm not saying to you that these expectations are right. I'm not necessarily saying they are wrong either. I'm just telling you, as a matter of fact, since you're marrying from this country, if that's what you choose to do, the Muslim Western Muslim, whether you call her Arab or Pakistani or Indian, the Muslim Western woman who comes from this background, what are her expectations? What is her ma'ruf? What is fair according to her? So I share with you a few. You've touched on a few of them. First of all, part of the ma'ruf. And sisters will have to pardon me. I guess I'm speaking on behalf of them. Maybe some of this is anecdotal. Some of this is research based. Bear with us. It seems that some of the modern day expectations of the modern woman, which is part of her urf, maruf, the fair treatment of today, is to be aesthetically pleasing. Maybe back in the days, whether in this country or what others would say is back home, there was no such expectations. There was no expectation that you as a husband needed to take care of yourself. There was no expectation that you needed to comb your beard before you come into the house or brush your teeth or put on some perfume or, or, or a new pair of clothes. Maybe that expectation wasn't there. It was perfectly reasonable for you to be a fat lad to you be for you to be a tip. Why? Because. Um, Maybe you looked at your parents and that's how it was there. Looked at your uncles and aunties and your wife. She looked at her neighbors as well. That's what their husbands were doing and the neighbor's neighbors. And that was just a done thing. There, There was no expectation for a man to sort himself out. Today, things have changed. There is an expectation. And part of this is because of what we are exposed to, both of us, the genders. Today, the average 15 year old will see in one day through his social media reel more content and a variety that maybe our grandparents had seen throughout their entire lives. So there is a different expectation that you as a brother, you take care of yourself. And Abdullah ibn Abbas, he would say, I love to beautify myself for my spouse just as I love it when she beautifies herself for me. And Muhammad ibn al Hasan, one of our predecessors, he also says that, I decorate myself for my woman folk so that their eyes don't wander off. That was like 13, 1400 years ago. I beautify myself such that my woman folk's eyes they don't look beyond me. Now, of course, this isn't to uh, drive us into paranoia. This isn't to maybe feel um, this, this is not maybe to pressure our sister to feel that she needs to uh, do plastic surgery or to inject all sorts of botox serums in her face and other parts of her body it gives you that horrible homogenous look they all look the same or similarly if you as a man you don't need to feel pressure to go injecting steroids and deca into your body or Implanting synthetic six packs into your abdomen. No, 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 none of that is needed. It's like Allah, just take care of ourselves. To run on the treadmill, to watch our diet, to eat responsibly. Right. This is required. Part of the reason why you loved your spouse so much and why she loved you in the beginning was because you looked so good to one another. And now that you are married, this should be maintained to keep that flame of love alive. But like i said it doesn't need to push us into extremes there was an article in the uh, khalij times in march 2019 it was titled uae woman surprises her husband with plastic surgery comma he divorces her alhamdulillah the religion has spared us from these types of burdens but make an effort so this is a modern day expectation of the modern woman to be aesthetically pleasing to the eye. Number two, the idea of helping out with household chores, to navigate yourself around the kitchen, to assist, to help. Now again, back home or back in the days, maybe this was not an expectation upon a man. His job was purely the breadwinner. It was the public side of service and the woman's or the wife's role was purely within the home, and there was no interplay, Uh, there was no overlap. Today that's different. There was a poll, and this was in India, this wasn't even in the West, where there was a whopping 52 percent of women who said that we expect our future spouses to help around in the house. And 40 percent of them, just under 40 percent, who said we want our future spouses to have some culinary skills yeah in english that's called cooking right understanding where the utensils are found in the kitchen assisting this is a modern day expectation is this my phone no Uh, number three another expectation of the modern day woman is that there is meaningful talk between husband and wife back in the days or in other societies perhaps this was not so much of an expectation he comes back from work at 6, 7. He is absolutely knackered. If he's very generous with his time and his talk, he will maybe ask about the kids. Perhaps he will tell you something about work. And perhaps, if he's very chatty, speak about the weather. And <coughs> then, that's the end of the day. Today, no, that's different. That's not sufficient anymore. Today you're supposed to talk, and I mean meaningful, deep, engaging, talk, not just intimate, but about life and the deep matters of life. You're supposed to, you're expected to do that. Another one of those expectations, for example, is the aspect of me time. Me time. Your mother or your mother's mother, maybe she is completely unaware of this concept. Maybe our parents haven't heard of me time. It was just a graft from 6am in the morning till 9pm in the evening. That was going to be her life. It's her family. It's her her husband, it's her children, it's her parents, it's her in-laws. And then you put that on repeat for the next 50 years of her life till death do us part. No, nowadays your wife, she will say to you, I need some me time. Me time means that I occasionally withdraw from my responsibilities towards my parents, your parents, our children, you, the house, and I have some time to myself. And that's something that a lot of women will need. I need to just find myself. I need to be at peace with myself. I need to catalog catalog my, my thoughts. And then she comes back in an optimal way, in a thriving way, in a new spirit, rejuvenated, refreshed, and willing to give everything for her family the aspect of me time then friendship this is another expectation so again maybe in the past that wasn't really a requirement we're just kind of partners in the same business we interact as and when for the flourishing of the institution but then that's it no now you have to not just be a friend you have to be the best friend you have to also be the therapist and you're the advisor the counselor you're the co-parent and you're the DIY specialist. You're all of those things, a lot of the hats that a man has to wear today. And that creates a burden on him. And it can sometimes cause problems because the expectations of a husband are quite high. And one of the ways, by the way, of relieving some of this pressure from your back, dear brother, research will suggest that those who cope best with this are those men who help their spouses widen their circle of friends, to network with other righteous women who can do the things and help you with the things that you are unable and unfit to do. So friendship, that is another, another requirement. And then, of course, romance. Maybe in the past, there was nothing expected from a husband other to come home each evening carrying the shopping bags or maybe carrying the check. Khalas. Jazakallah khair. He's done his bit. No, now, every now and then, you have to come with some flowers, or you have to come with a box of chocolates, or you have to come with a personalized gift, you have to come with a, 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 a getaway for the weekend, if not, you're falling short. So these things are part of the ma'roof that is expected, for the most part, by the modern-day woman. There are other things that you can include in this list and perhaps you can subtract some of these. I'm not telling you what is right and what is wrong. I'm just telling you what the custom is and how the Qur'an is saying to you. عشروهن, treat them according to the custom, according to the norm. And our religion upholds a norm so long as it doesn't do what? Contradict a value of the religion. At this juncture, I share with you, my brother, a matter that collides head on with the instruction of this principle. Something that shatters it to the core. If you have not understood everything I have said, and what Aishi Ruhunna Bil looks like, then at least understand a manifestation of its opposite. And that is domestic violence. One in three women's statistics suggest will experience Domestic violence by an intimate partner throughout the course of her life. And that statistic spans across all religions, all races, all cultures, all ethnicities. And they find also that a, a woman here in Britain, statistics suggest that there is two women on average a week who are murdered in Britain because of that. And those who are subject to domestic violence are three times more likely to develop mental health disorders, even the extreme ones like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, modern day research is suggesting. And that is why the Prophet was described by our mother Aisha as Muslim narrates, ما ضرب رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم شيء she said, never did the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ ever strike anything with his hand. وَلَا خَادِمًا Not a woman, a wife of his, and not even a servant. She said, إِلَّا أَن يُجَاهِدَ في سبيل الله. Except in the instances where he was fighting in the path of Allah Jalla جل And Abu Dawood narrates in his sunan on the authority of Iyas ibn Abdullah ibn Abi Dhubab. That the Messenger once had an influx of women who came to his homes, the homes of his wives, complaining of heavy handed husbands. And so the Prophet assembled the Muslims and he said to them Many women this evening came to the homes of the Prophet ﷺ, complaining of their husbands. He said, bi Those men are not the finest amongst you. Those men are not the finest amongst you. And when a woman by the name of Fatima bint Tuqais told the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ that there were two men who asked for her hand in marriage, Abu Muawiyah on one, Muawiyah on one hand, and Abu Jahim, on the other hand, he said to her, don't marry either. He said, as for Muawiyah, he's a destitute man. He has no money. The stick is always on his shoulder. In another narration, which explains it, he said, he's a woman beater. Don't marry him. Don't marry him because of that, he said. Never did he hit his wives. And never did he see this domestic violence as an expression of masculinity. or His leadership at home, God forbid, the opposite was true. Even when he was upset with his wives. Like when our mothers, Afsa and Aisha, may Allah be pleased with them both, were asking too much financial demands from the Prophet. And this, is a, this is a normal household, they're human beings. And he was upset. Because he was unable to provide for them and he turned away from them and rumors spread that perhaps he'd even divorced them and of course the father of Aisha is Abu Bakr anhu, and father of Hafsa is Umar radiallahu anhu these are his father-in-laws not just his companions when they came to the prophet alayhi trying to understand what happened how have they upset you and then when he came when they came to hear of the conversation and what happened between him and his wives, each of the two men went to his daughter to beat her. Umar leapt at Hafsad, Abu Bakr leapt at Aisha, and they said, Tasalani Rasulallahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you're asking of the Prophet things that he doesn't possess. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, forbade them both from touching their daughters. You don't hit them. Allahu Akbar. Ashi <laughs> ruhunna and one of the opposite manifestations of this is what? Domestic violence, which is not the character of, of a believer. Those are not the finest of your men. So here, just before we conclude this principle, move on to the second, a message to round up this principle for the brothers and a message for our sisters. Message for the brothers. Nabil Ma'ruf. Treat them fairly. Don't delay the application of this principle. And see your good and kind treatment of your wife not just as an ibadah, an act of worship but an investment not just in your marriage but in your own personal well-being see your marriage as a bank account the more you deposit within it the more you're able to withdraw for those of you who are unmarried you will soon learn that there will be many times in your marriage when you will need to withdraw Difficult circumstances for one reason or another. You and your wife, you don't see eye to eye on a matter. You are withdrawing, and that rocks a lot of relationships beyond repair. You know why? Because they had not deposited during the good times, and now they want to withdraw, and there's nothing to withdraw. So your flowers, your humble behavior, your help around the house, your smile, your adab, your akhlaq, that is an investment. That is you depositing into that account. Therefore, when the time comes when you need to withdraw, guess what? You have a reserve. And it will not affect the fabric of your relationship. And don't delay this. Don't take your wife for granted. Where is she gonna go? Where is she gonna go? minha, as we say in Arabic. You've just guaranteed her presence, taking her for granted. And then one day the switch goes off in her mind and she's completely turned off towards you. And she looks at you in this gives you this cold stare as if to say, I'm never coming back. And then you collapse. And I can't count. I can't even begin to count the amount of times I've seen this happen in our Sharia council. Where a husband and wife have come to us trying to mediate, the husband is begging, saying, I will treat fairly now. I will live with her honorably. I will do what I need to do. I've accepted my mistake. I've delayed this principle. And she's not even looking at him, she's looking at us. And he's facing his chair completely towards her, pleading on his knees on some occasions, crying his eyes out. I can't live without you. I will die. I will take my own life. I can't do this. And she's smiling. She's cold. And she says to us, I used to almost worship this man. I used to be at his beck and call. I used to kiss the floor he walks on. He was everything to me, but he abused that trust. He took me for granted. And now I feel nothing towards him. Please help us dissolve this relationship. So don't push your wife to the junction of no repair, the juncture of no repair. Take the initiative now and make those deposits and don't wait for those hard times to come that no man can bear. That's the message to the brother. And then we conclude with a message to our sisters. Dear sister, beware of abusing this principle that Allah has favored you with that speaks to us men and says to us, treat them, meaning your wife's fairly. don't abuse that principle. Don't take it for a ride. What does that look like? Well, there are a lot of contradictory expectations when it comes to marital life, when it comes to a lot of our Muslim feminist sisters, a lot of double standards, a lot of Nazism, dare I say, Because what is feminism? Feminism in its truest and purest sense is the idea that there is a 50-50 division down the middle. We're partners. We do everything 50-50. It's an equal split. So when it comes to finances, we're 50-50. So me as a husband, I, I put 50 towards you in the house. The other 50 is mine. Don't expect me to put a penny towards you or days out or anything like that. That's in its purest sense 50 50 when it comes to child rearing 50 50 when it comes to protection as well. So I'm not going to be your knight in shining armor anymore. If our house is going to get burgled six times this year, you're expected to get out the bed on three occasions and tackle the thief. It's a 50 50 split along the way. So what is interesting is that a lot of our sisters, our Muslim feminist sisters, Want to claim the benefits of being a feminist, i.e., the 50 50 split and what comes with that, and in the same time, they want to claim all of the benefits that come with being a Muslim woman. La ilaha illallah, you can't have the cake and eat it. These are double standards. So, you want the traditional benefits that come with marrying a Muslim man. But you don't want to give the traditional responsibilities are expected from you as a Muslim woman. So for example, some of them will say, I want my husband to be. Bismillah, I want my husband to be the big provider of our home. And I want him to be that, that rock that I can lean on during hard times. I want this mature, intelligent, sensible husband who listens to me, who hears me. I, I, I want him to be a chivalrous, the, the alpha male, dashing, tall, dark, and handsome. Right? I want him to slay the dragon. I want him to kill the beast. I want him to work three jobs for me. Jamil. then in the same breath, she will say, you know, by the way, I, I don't cook. And uh, I, I don't expect me to clean either. I don't clean. And um, you can't tell me to do anything. As my uh, husband, there's no authority over me, completely. La ilaha illallah, all of the benefits you want of feminism, plus you want all of the perks of being a traditional Muslim wife. You can't have the cake and eat it. This is contradictory behavior. This is narcissism. This is selfish, arrogant, self-entitled type of behavior. Dear sister, allow me and pardon me for these terms, but it needs to be called out because it's pervasive. It's prevalent. So if you want a husband who's willing to perform all of the traditional roles of a good and responsible Muslim husband, guess what? He's also going to be looking for a wife who performs all of the traditional responsibilities of a Muslim woman. These are two messages I wanted to share to the brother and to our sister husbands and wives. In conclusion of this verse, that says, Treat them fairly. Principle number one, nine, is from Surah An-Nisa, chapter four of the Quran. Again, where Allah Jalla جل Jalaluhu said, "الرِّجَالُ عَلَى النِّسَاءِ." Men are the قوامون. meaning the maintainers, the protectors. Some have translated it as in charge, the providers. How is this principle to be understood? And how does it encouraging, encourage the flourishing of a Muslim family? A lot has been said about this ayah, as you can imagine. First of all, it's important to note, dear brother, dear sister, that both the male and the female are the creation of Allah Jalla جل And he has honored them both accordingly and equally. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said we have certainly honored the son of Adam. That applies to men and that applies to female mothers, fathers, husbands, and wives. We've honored them. And Allah said, Your Lord does not do any injustice to his servants. And Allah Almighty intends a particular function role purpose for the male and he intends a purpose for the female and he prepares each one of the two genders mentally and physically to carry out their function or the one of their primary roles in life so when it it comes to women Allah Almighty has chosen for them the burden and the responsibility and the privilege of childbearing they carry the children they deliver the children, they for the most part nurse the children, and in order to assist her carry out this burden and responsibility, Allah prepares her and inspires her with the innate abilities needed to fulfill this, mentally speaking, physically speaking, and so on. And therefore it only made sense that Allah would burden the other half of society, the men with the responsibility of taking care of their woman folk maintaining their woman folk leading them to that which is in their interest and steering their relationship towards their mutual and their collective flourishing and similarly Allah almighty enables the man to carry out this responsibility and he prepares him physically for it and mentally and emotionally as well and naturally, every institution requires a leader. Whether you're talking about a political institution, a business venture, or even a family life, the marital institution, leadership is required that looks for the interests of those whom they are leading and managing their affairs. And when it comes to marriage, Allah جل جلاله, has chosen the man to be the caretaker and the maintainer and the provider of his family and spouse, and tending to their interests and their needs. Now, of course, this is a responsibility that brings with it certain perks and certain privileges, if we may call them that, but more, than, more often than not, or more so than not, we see this as a responsibility, we see it as a burden, not something that is to be bragged about or to be seen as a power trip. كُلُّكُمْ رَاعٍ وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ رَعِيَتِهِ The Prophet ﷺ said, Each one of you is a shepherd and shall be asked about his flock. And then he said, A man, a husband, he is a shepherd. And he's going to be asked about his flock, i.e. his family. And the hadith continues. So more so, not so much a perk, it is more of a responsibility which the intelligent Muslim man fears that he will fail in. and Therefore, he upholds this trust and he leads with wisdom and intelligence. And it is difficult to argue otherwise. The Quran is very clear as per who are the ones who manage the affairs of their family and tend to their interests. No amount of hermeneutical gymnastics can convince us otherwise. The word husband comes from the words house band. So who is the one who puts the band around the house to ensure that everything is kept in and is safe? It's the husband. It's his responsibility. And even when you look into the scripture of the Christians. Now, what does this word mean? Men are men. For women or on women. Qawwamoon is the plural of Qawwam, and a Qawwam is in the emphatic, mubalagha, emphasized, aggrandized form, meaning someone who constantly manages the affairs of people. That is what a Qayyim is. And in the context of our sisters, our mothers, our aunties, our daughters, it would be their fathers who is their Qayyim. And later on in life, it would be their husband who sees to their interests. And provides and protects and maintains. And therefore, a husband who is a Qayyim, he leads his family with wisdom, with knowledge, with immense patience, with turning a blind eye to petty matters, a willingness to lose certain battles in order to win the war, thinks strategically, listens empathetically, and when you look into how our Prophet ﷺ applied this Quranic principle of men are the maintainers or caretakers of women, you see that he did not behave as an emperor lording over his family. He was not a man who looked to suppress the individuality, the identity. Uh, of his womenfolk, but he gave them space, they spoke, they communicated, he sought their opinion. If you remember when we spoke in principle 6, the idea of consultation, that's how he understood to be a Qawwam of the family. Certain privileges come with it, I agree with you, that cannot be denied, especially when it comes to matters of decision-making. But how did the Messenger apply this principle that you are studying today? Well. Look at the words of Al-Aswad ibn Yazid, who said, I asked Aisha عنها, What did the Prophet used to do in his home? This great Prophet of Allah, he must have been in a constant state of meditation, communication with Allah جل جلاله, and beseeching him and learning from the Archangel angel Gabriel. And these huge mystical things must have been happening in the home. What did he do in his home? And she said to him, He would be at the service of his family. Until he hears the call to prayer and he would get up and leave to pray. That's what he would do. And Urwa narrates that his father said that a man asked the Prophet or asked Aisha, what did the prophet of Allah used to do in his house? She said, He used to repair his shoes. He would stitch his clothes. And he would do the same things that the average man would do in his home. This is his understanding of it. This is understanding of it. Now, having understood this, let us take a look at what role reversal looks like. Since this is advocated by many segments of society. We want to stay at home, dad. And we want the women to put on the trousers and to become the breadwinners of society, the breadwinners of the home. That's what we want. A strong, independent CEO. Let us take a look at what role reversal looks like. Let us take this principle of men are the qawwamun on women, let's re- reverse it, because that's what people apparently want, and make it an nisa'u qawwamatun ala rijal or ala rijal women are the qawwamat on men, what does that look like? And I'm not going to tell you an opinion, I'm just going to share with you a demographic, I'm going to share with you a phenomenon. I'm going to just tell you what is happening today and how people are reacting to this revolution in gender switching in terms of the roles. I mean to say, and by the way, before I proceed here, I just add a quick caveat. I am not taking a dig at every one of our sisters who is decided, who has decided to work. I'm not doing that because I understand that there are certain circumstances, Especially today, perhaps with the rise in the cost of living and inflation and other crises we're experiencing. Sometimes there is immense pressure on families. Sometimes a husband really is doing his bit and working more than one job to make ends meet and he's struggling. So she decides with their consultation with one another to help out and to relieve some of the to relieve some of the burden from him. And she takes a job to assist. In that situation, generally speaking, I praise her and I I ask Allah to bless her and to reward her for going out of her way to assist her spouse and to assist her family. Says, I'm not speaking about this. I am speaking about the idea of purposely, intentionally, consciously choosing as a man to stay at home, to not work, and in the hope that your wife will go and do. You're bidding for you on on your behalf in the public domain. Or perhaps I'm addressing some of our sisters who only see success when she is bringing money into the home. Otherwise, domesticity is an insult. Being a mother is an insult. Being a homemaker is an insult. It's all beneath her. It's all demeaning. I have no value, she will say, unless I'm able to prove myself in the professional world. Perhaps this is what we are speaking about here. So, what does the reversal of roles look like? And I share with you, I share this with you, my brother, my sister, to increase your yaqeen, your certainty in Allah, and to make you defend your religion and to thank him that he's allowed you to come to a realization for things that only today people are beginning to learn and they are saying, We want al-rijal wa nisa. We want responsible men. We wish they existed and look at the movements that have now come about because of this. And look at the books that have been authored. I share with you a few. First of all, there was a bit of research that was carried out by a woman by the name of Professor Alexandra Kilwold from Harvard University, and she looked into the lives of 6300 couples, married couples, their finances, their lives, their habits, 1700 of which were divorced. And she found that those couples where the husband was not working full-time were most likely to end in divorce. You see? And when you look at Vanessa Lloyd Platt, she's a divorce lawyer and she speaks about the revolution in gender roles and the whole phenomenon of the full-time dad. She says, Divorces where the man is a full-time dad have doubled in the last five years and now account for 10% of all marital breakups. Just by him being at home, he may be the perfect dad, the perfect homemaker. She doesn't want him anymore. He seems unattractive, doesn't fancy him. And then she goes on to say, in my experience, 25 to 30 percent of couples where there is a stay at home dad end in acrimonious splits 30 percent and it is almost always the woman who initiates proceeding who is the one who complains and is no longer interested in the other more often than not it's the woman who says i want to end this relationship not interested in him this makes perfect sense when scientists or researchers or psychologists are describing women as hypergamous. Hypergamy describes the tendency of a woman to marry up, to date up. It means that she aspires for a man who is above her in terms of socio-economic background, higher in educational background. That's called hypergamy. By her nature, she wants to look up to someone. So she says that it's the women who are initiating these proceedings. So Subhanallah, the model that was created by women, the women are the ones who are saying we want out of it. We don't like it anymore. Where are the men? Where are they? And then she goes, bottom line is that if, uh, bottom line is that they don't respect their other half anymore. And if they don't respect him, they don't fancy him. And it's a slippery slope. And then she goes on to speak about certain heartbreaking examples she's experienced in her firm, whereby a, uh, A husband was dealt a very cruel blow where his wife, although he was a full-time dad and doing everything right at home, his wife went off with a dashing alpha male colleague of hers at work. That's what she wants at the end of the day. And then she says, what we're seeing here is not just a reversal, but a total revolution in gender roles. Then I take your attention to Sweden, who rates number one in the EU index for gender equality. so so sweden has completely flattened the curve gender identicality equal opportunities in every sense of the word it's the most egalitarian country in the world as you know some economists did some studying to see the relationship between career progression and the likelihood of divorce on on the two genders and what they found that it was women who were far more likely to pay a personal price for their career success with respect to their marriages. But it was not the case for men. They found, and I'm just describing to you the context, I'm describing to you what's happening. They found, especially in the field of politics and CEOs, when a woman grows in her role as a politician, there is a greater likelihood that her family life will take a hit and she will end in divorce. And that was not the case with male politicians. And they found that when a woman became a CEO, it was far more likely for her to end in divorce. And that was not the case for male CEOs. Why is that the case? That's something to think about. Then I take your attention to what they call the Trad Wives Movement. Have you heard of them? Trad Wives Movement is short for traditional wives. It's basically a, a movement and it, it's really gaining momentum that's been around since the early sixties. And it's about reviving the role of the traditional wife in the house where she is a homemaker. These are non-Muslims, by the way, a homemaker, handing the reins of responsibility over to her husband and allowing him to control the finances and managing the affairs of the home and she wants to be there for him for the family and for the children the tradwives movement gaining popularity in the UK in Brazil in Germany and Japan And there is a woman by the name of Helen and Who is a American Mormon mother of eight children in 1963? She she wrote a book and she started essentially This this movement, she's basically calling that calling for women to aspire to an ideal of femininity and to manipulate their men with their feminine charms and to see wifeliness as the core to, to a happy relationship and not as a threat to your individuality. And they are saying these women that tell men not to be men and women not to be women. And you're going to get a family breakdown each and every time. And Dixie, who is the daughter of Helen, the founder, she says that we're saying to feminists today, thank you very much for the trousers, but we see life in a different way. And they say, we're just asking to not be judged. And they're carrying out now these online courses to speak about what it means to be a trans wife. And there's hundreds of thousands of subscribers and it is growing. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing a tectonic shift. We're seeing a huge moving of the goalpost. Now, the standards are changing. It's as if people are saying, we wish for we wish for responsible men. Right. Where are they? So the tide seems to be shifting. Then you have authors like Suzanne Venka. Suzanne Venka, she is a, a bestseller author and she's got several books. She's got a small booklet called the, the, the Bossy Wife Diet, and she's got a book called The Two Income Trap. Um, she has a book also called The Alpha Female Guide to Men and Marriages. The Alpha Female Guide to Men and Marriages. Basically, what she's saying, Suzanne Venker, is that America at the moment is obsessed with the idea of the of the alpha female the strong, the aggressive, the dominant woman who is successful, who is a CEO who brings in a handsome income. And she says that's fine. But the only issue is that the alpha female when she is when she marries, she becomes an alpha wife and an alpha wife is a bossy wife who controls everything and no man wants to marry a boss. No man wants to marry a woman who's controlling everything. Right. And she speaks about how you may be the most dominant woman at work she says suzanne Venka. but when you get home at five o'clock she says you've got to drop a few gears otherwise your relationship is going to be in tatters and then she says suzanne Venka, women are taught to chuck their femininity and to become more like men dominant aggressive and in charge and that might get you ahead at work but at home it will land you in a ditch finally you have laura doyle Laura Doyle wrote a book called The Surrendered Wife. And then she wrote another book after it called The Empowered Wife. And the idea of this book is to hand over control, leadership, management of the home entirely to your husband. This is her idea. And she speaks about her personal experience with her husband John She said that our relationship was in a really bad place. And we were just miserable and lonely and nothing was happening. Intimacy was gone. Then I realized she said it was, it was me because I was trying to take control of everything. I was trying to be in charge. I was telling him what to wear or what to do and what to spend. And he didn't like that. She said, because a man sees a bossy woman as a woman who's like his mom. And no one wants to have relations with his mom. That's what she says. So she said, I surrendered. I gave him control over the finances. I lavished him with praise. And then she says, I was I made myself available to him whenever he needed. And she said, the man who had wooed me came back. And she believes she swears by her theories. And so she authored this book called The Surrendered Wife. And you'd think that this title, The Surrendered Wife would cause so much negativity, right? It's like against everything that the feminist movement is pushing forward and so-called accomplished actually it struck a chord and the book became a national bestseller and people were looking to interview her left right and center now she has does put disclaimers and caveats like the surrendered wife is not the submitted wife and the surrendered wife is not to to be seen as a doormat but the surrendered wife is one who relinquishes inappropriate control this these were her words relinquishes inappropriate control gives that to her husband because if you don't do that and you try to manage everything in his eyes he's inadequate and you've made him effeminate you've made him into a woman so he will no longer try she said give it to him pass it all over to him trust him praise him be available for him this is what she is saying and she claims that the relationship will improve why am i sharing this with you it's not tongue-in-cheek. I'm just trying to show you that there is a shift that's happening now in the scene. And with all that's been said, and the movement away from the fitrah, the natural disposition, people are slowly finding their way back around, as if to say, where are the responsible men? Where are they? So raise your head high and be proud of your religion. And finally, I say, in the last 20 or 30 seconds that we have, I know that a lot of our sisters aspile, aspire to this type of ideal. It's, it's in their natural disposition. It comes to them. It's part of their proclivity to aspire for something like this. It's not like they don't want it, but because in many cases they don't see it demonstrated properly. They see some men who are immature, irresponsible, bums want to stay at home just living off the government benefits playing games all day going out with his friends not taking care of family not speaking to in-laws he doesn't want that and you say i you you look at you you want to be uh, another feminist from the second wave i've read all about you i know all about you no no it's not always like that they aspire a lot of women for this type of ideal and they believe in the quran and the sunnah just as you do but they don't see a lot of men demonstrating it properly. And so what you see as a rebellion against scripture, no, in her eyes is what? It's a rebellion against your interpretation, my interpretation, your and my application of the Quran. The fault in many cases in, is in us, not in them. I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I've been balanced in giving certain messages to our brothers and certain messages to our sisters and distributing this evening's principles across both of husbands and wives. We've covered bil بِالْمَعْرُوْفِ, treat them fairly, and we've covered الرِّجَالُ قَوَامُونَ عَلَى النِّسَاءِ, men are the maintainers, protectors, and so on, of their womanfolk. وَصَلَّى اللَّهُ مُحَمَّدٍ